welcome to talc teaching and learning consultation skills this is the talc talks podcast helping everyone who sees patients to improve their consultation skills to get better outcomes and this approach can even increase your job satisfaction This podcast is part of a series where we're talking about why and how consultation skills promote better and safer care, focusing on each module in turn. Effective consultation skills have been repeatedly shown to contribute to safer, more accurate and more patient-centred interactions. Clinicians who consult skillfully make fewer errors and they also deliver care of better quality which in turn means they conform to the expectations of regulatory bodies such as the GMC or the NMC. So in each of these, how do these consultation skills promote better and safer care chapters, there are two examples. One is of a patient with a bad sore throat, and the second is a patient who says, I would like some sleeping pills. These very common scenarios need accurate clinical assessment and an effective therapeutic relationship must also be created for the right care to be offered in line with each patient's specific needs. However, such consultations can run into problems if the right consultation skills are not used. This could include conflicts, for example, if the clinician and the patient disagree about the treatment or the investigations. Safety incidents can arise if important clinical information is missed because of poor information gathering skills. Sometimes good treatment plans go wrong or fail completely if the patient's own point of view and their own needs are not properly understood because this means patients don't carry out plans. In some worst case scenarios, clinicians can be subject to complaints if things go wrong or if the patient is unhappy with how the consultation went. Many of these adverse things can be completely prevented if the right skills are used in the right way at the right time. Every part of the consultation offers opportunities for curiosity and inquiry using effective listening skills to improve the information available to the clinician and that helps to ensure that care is fully personalised to the needs of the individual patient. By exploring these two clinical situations in detail, each chapter will demonstrate the benefits of the relevant skills very clearly. So why have we chosen really bad sore throat and sleeping pills as clinical scenarios. Let's think about a really bad sore throat first. There's really no such thing as a sore throat. There's always a patient present who has the sore throat and for them the sore throat is only one aspect of their whole problem. Clinicians need to be able to maintain an open mind about what any particular patient's sore throat is really all about and avoid jumping to conclusions early on. Many clinicians start by thinking a sore throat is a straightforward situation and they focus on asking themselves questions like, is this viral or bacterial? Shall I give antibiotics or shall we not give antibiotics? This internal focus can mean important aspects of the patient's story are missed. However, thinking about the sore throat beforehand and thinking about the skills that are needed can help the clinician make a safer and more accurate assessment and plan. Thinking about the scenario when somebody says, can I have some sleeping tablets, is also quite similar. 
patients who are disturbed, stressed or distressed, may sometimes introduce their quite complicated problem with a seemingly simple request such as, can I have some sleeping tablets? Just as there is no such thing as a sore throat, there's no single answer to the question of whether a patient will benefit from sleeping tablets. Successful and safe consulting in this situation means that a clinician must be able to use the generalist skill of placing the patient's problem within their own specific context. However, as most sleeping tablets have a potential for addiction, and they might not even improve sleep very much, many clinicians have a core attitude that sleeping tablets are not helpful. Thus, they may mentally answer the patient's closed question of, can I have some sleeping tablets, with a kind of mental immediate, no, you can't. Coming to the consultation with a fixed view like this can make clinicians less curious about the full story that they need to hear from the patient and can affect the accuracy of the treatment plan. Now we're going to talk about TALP module six, which is skills for effective endings to the consultation. And I'm thinking, Anne, I think you've probably got a, a, a recording or a story that will help us understand how effective endings can be so useful clinically. Yes, thanks, thanks Avril. So this is Bethany's story. Bethany is 47 and works as a teaching assistant in a school for children with severe learning difficulties and health problems. And a practice quest is received for an urgent call about this really bad sore throat. So the clinician reads in the notes that Bethany has tended to have a lot of tonsillitis and sore throats over the years. Three years ago, one of these episodes resulted in admission to hospital and she had a left-sided quinsy that required some surgery, surgical drainage. Bethany's been taking gender-affirming hormone therapy for about for six years. She's transgender and had genital gender confirmation surgery two years ago, which went well. She has no other ongoing health problems apart from some summer hay fever, which she uses cetirizine and beclomethasone. She has an allergy to penicillin and clindamycin, which are recorded. So a face-to-face -face assessment is arranged in view of the history. So Bethany describes how her throat has been very sore, both sides, with difficulty in swallowing food, although fluid seems to have been okay. There is no fever. She also has a runny nose and a slight cough when she's lying down. She's just generally feeling rather tired. Fortunately, the school is on half term, so she can have a rest and... She's already done a lateral flow and PCR COVID test, which have thankfully come back negative. So the clinician asks Bethany about her concerns and she goes on to say, I am really worried. I'm going to end up with another Quincy. I had a horrible experience last time. The nurses were okay, but the surgeon just didn't understand about the hormone treatment I needed because of being trans. He refused to prescribe it when I was in hospital, saying it could cause a blood clot or something. And I felt very disrespected. The clinician rather defensively says, well, oestrogens can make blood clots more likely, so I expect that's why they were not prescribed. So when the clinician examined Bethany, the, the findings were reassuring. She, there was no fever, the throat looked quite normal, and there were no glands or swellings in the neck. Bethany could open and close her mouth normally, and although her speech was slightly husky, she said that was normal for her. The uvula was central and the soreness was bilateral rather than on one side, where the surgery was done previously. So the clinician explains that the throat findings are not typical of Quincy this time. Bethany remains anxious and says, well, can't I have some antibiotics? There must be something I can take. I can't face end up in hospital again. 
this clinician is reluctant I mean, in view of the essentially normal findings and they feel rather uncertain about dealing with a trans patient because that's something they've not encountered before. They say several times another Quincy is really not at all likely and eventually they give Bethany a short course of metronidazole antibiotic hoping to prevent any spreading infection. They provide very general safety netting advice along the lines of get back to us if things don't settle down. Well, on the face of it, I can understand why there's a bit of a, a dilemma about antibiotics here, because for a start, um, Bethany's allergic to all the commonly used things in this yeah. situation. Um, metronidazole's not a bad choice in terms of preventing Vincent's angina or something like that. So, um, and really, uh, you know, what's the harm in a few days metronidazole? So why, why, why have you brought this one up? Well, in this particular case, what happened was the next day, another clinician gets a phone call from Bethany saying, goodness, I feel terrible today. I'm really flushed and I feel really sick. And then further inquiry at that point revealed that Bethany had continued with her usual regular evening glass of wine while still taking the metronidazole. Fortunately, the symptoms cleared up pretty rapidly once she stopped taking alcohol. But obviously, this wasn't an ideal situation and raised some questions. Right. Okay. Yeah. It's uh, it's complex, isn't it? This uh, you do one thing to try and achieve one thing and end up with a side effect. So, what kind of better consultation skills for effective endings to the consultation do we need to be using here, and how can how can people learn to do it better? So, I think that there's a few skills to be thinking about to access them. Then there's lots of information in Talc Module Six skills for effective endings to the consultation and there's a podcast there to listen to. I think in this situation here the, the clinician was probably correct in thinking that Bethany is not at high risk for recurrent quinzy and they did a really thorough clinical assessment. I think they did allow themselves to get distracted by Bethany's natural concerns and her worries and then they went on to prescribe a drug that was not strictly necessary and I think then that distraction and perhaps being slightly out of their sort of comfort zone in what they thought was actually really necessary, they forgot to give the appropriate warnings about alcohol when prescribing metronidazole. Mm. So uh, that's interesting. They got a bit distracted. And it mm. just shows how you need to remain focused till the end. I guess the skills of Talc 5-5, never say never, how to say no while still saying yes, might have helped them negotiate some of those issues around prescribing. Um, any other thoughts about closing skills, though? So definitely thoughts about safety netting. So using the effective safety netting skills of TALP Module 6 would also have helped to create a more effective management, pla management plan. So instead of simply pointing out that a Quincy seemed unlikely, so saying, well, this is, this is what it isn't, the clinician could have explained what the, they expected to happen if this was not a Quincy, which is where their thinking was and what to look out for if a Quincy does start to develop. So that's an idea of developing these what-if scenarios for the patient. So what to do if new symptoms develop, or what to do if the pain becomes more one-sided or you have difficulties opening the mouth. Giving specific advice about the best way to get help and being clear that advice is available during the next few days might well have been reassuring enough that Bethany could have waited to see if things improved rather than taking immediate antibiotics.
I think that's um, that that's really interesting because rather than just saying call us if it gets worse, which kind of leaves Bethany hanging, mm. you could say I'm expecting it to go like this, and if it doesn't, look out for that. Yeah. And that feels a little bit tighter in a way in terms of follow up management, doesn't it? Yeah. Is there anything else a clinician could do in terms of ending the conversation more effectively? Yeah. There's obviously some anxiety around this for Bethany, wasn't there? And I think to provide reassurance, there's a number of things that would have been effective. So they could have asked Bethany perhaps to leave a message about her progress in the next few days. I mean, even if she was getting better, it's also useful for the clinician to know. And actually, it's very little effort on the clinician's part. Such a request, I think, really helps the patient to know that they're being held in mind and that can really help reduce anxiety. And again, it may have reduced Bethany's desire to take any extra medication or treatments. The clinician might also say, well, I'll call you later in the week to check how things are going. And while this might seem time consuming, the reduction in anxiety that a patient feels can often prevent further requests for consultations in the meantime, or actually even consultations in the future. As you know, if a person is particularly anxious about their health, then this reduction in anxiety over time may be something that saves times even into the future. Mm, important. It's very interesting, isn't it, how relatively small changes in the way we consult can have quite long-term effects, really. Um, I'm wondering about um, whether um, thinking about the forward planning might have helped the clinician to remember to tell the patient about the side effects. Um, I mean, this is what we call uh, sort of like an end summary isn't it in a way and I think if, if somebody had had for you know done that more carefully they might have just thought oh don't I normally tell people taking metronidazole to be careful about alcohol how do you think people can improve these skills I mean what, what should they do to get better at them so thinking about scenarios that have cropped up for yourself or using some of the examples which are contained within the module I think practicing the 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 scenarios with a colleague or an educator and actively seeking feedback uh, to ensure that the right steps are taking. So a safer ending includes confirming the plan of action, agreeing the next steps for all parties and ensuring appropriate safety netting. I suppose the big question to ask is the question itself, which is what questions remain now? If the answer is none, you can be satisfied that you've got to the point in the consultation where it's safe to close the consultation mm. so watching videos or listening to audio recordings of that very latter phase of the consultation will give you an opportunity to get feedback and reflect that's great and I think what you've pointed out is that the closing of the consultation isn't just a single step of saying well if it doesn't get better call me but it, it's got these components about confirming the plan agreeing the next steps and also doing some safety netting and leaving some space for questions. So thank you very much for that, Anne. Thanks, Avril. So Avril, I believe you have a story to tell us which is regarding requests for some sleeping tablets. Yeah, uh, and this is an interesting one which really shows how, first of all, a prescription can actually be a useful part of a patient's treatment plan. We're not always saying no to that. But it also explores the usefulness of those specific closing the consultation skills that we were talking about before. So this is a story about a man called Nico. He's 54. He's well known to the practice because he cares for his wife, Elena. She's had multiple medical problems and is now at home, really in the terminal phase of a lung cancer. She's got multiple secondaries and she's mostly confined to bed. She's also got COPD long-standing severe osteoarthritis having had hip replacements and a knee replacement 
and she's got ischemic heart disease and has had two non-STEMI events in the last six months. So she's a very sick woman. So Nico calls up to arrange a prescription for his wife and he says to the administrator, please can you ask the doctor for some of those sleeping tablets for me too? I'm so tired, I just need some sleep. Elena made me take one of hers, which worked, but I know I shouldn't take hers really. So before talking to Nico, the clinician checks the records and notes his generally reasonable health. The notes show two years ago he fractured his left ankle when he was knocked over by a motorcyclist. And the note says good healing, but his balance is affected as his ankle remains very stiff. He's on endapamide for hypertension, which is well controlled, and he takes paracetamol and occasional brufen for arthritic pains in his knees and ankles. Now, the clinician prepares pretty thoroughly and looks at Elena's notes as well, which show that the sleeping tablet in question was five milligrams of diazepam. She takes that alongside all her other many medications for pain and so on. They don't work brilliantly for Elena, but they have made her feel calmer and less anxious at night. So the clinician decided to ring Nikas, who explained that he wanted a pill to help him sleep just once or twice a week. His wife is very ill now. She's often disturbed at night, which wakes him, and she's expected to die fairly soon. He's very sad about this, but also resigned, and he says, We've had a good life together, and she gave me three great children. The clinician uses the skills of recognising, accepting and empathising with Nico's feelings and encourages him to express himself a bit further. And Nikos says it's hard for her now. The pain is under control with all those palliative nurses, but she hates being in bed. She can't do much. She's really wasting away. Even her skin has gone yellow. I know it can't be long now. Her suffering will be over and then she'll be with God. Exploring further, it seems that Nico's children, who live in towns about an hour away with their own families, have very sensibly decided to take it in turns to sleep over every couple of days so that Nico can get some sleep in the spare room. He says, I'm so used to waking, I can't rest even when they're there to give me a break. Now, the clinician was a bit concerned about giving a long-acting benzodiazepine because of concerns about daytime drowsiness. Could a sedative result in a damaging trip or a fall? And they do discuss all these uncertainties with Nico, and while he understands, he still yearns to get asleep two or three times a week. And after a bit of discussion, they suggest that Nico takes a small dose of Zopiclone at his discretion only on the nights when one of his children is around. So in view of the clinician being concerned about habituation and uncertainty about how the tablets will affect Nico, he gives him a prescription, but just for five tablets, saying if they work okay, he can get in touch to get some more. Okay, so it seems that this clinician's spent some time and um, really taken a lot of information about Nico's situation and what's been happening, and it seems like they've come up with a reasonable plan together. What, what happened? Well, the next day happened to be a Saturday. Nico contacted the out-of-hours service asking for more sleeping tablets, which was a request that was declined because the out-of-hours doctor didn't really feel that it was necessary given that he had enough to last him over the weekend. On Monday morning, Nico's son rang up the practice manager and was very, very angry and said, I want to make a complaint. My, my mother is dying, my father is exhausted, and that stupid person only gave him five tablets to help with sleeping. And what's more, he had to pay a full prescription charge for five tablets. Do you think he's made of money? So that was a bit of an unfortunate outcome there. And that complaint will take quite a bit of time to deal with. It will. And 
it seems such a shame, doesn't it? Because actually those initial parts of the consultation were done pretty thoroughly and effectively. So things have been not so effective towards the end of the consultation, haven't they? So as if you were a clinician, where would how would you go to, what would you do next to try and improve these skills and prevent problems like this? Well, I think first is to try and understand a little bit about what went wrong and what needs to be done instead. That They did all the things that you've said. What they didn't do, though, is they gave the prescription without further comment and they didn't use some closing uh, skills properly. So they didn't really agree the plan of action. In other words, here's just five tablets to see how they work and to make sure they're OK for you. And they didn't really agree the next steps, which, the next steps, which would be something more like, if you do need some more, say at the end of next week, because I'm not expecting you to take them every day, please ring up and leave a message for me personally. Um, and they also didn't do any safety netting to say the kind of things you might want to look out for, perhaps morning drowsiness, perhaps feeling a bit unsteady. And they didn't say, what questions have you got now? So the ending was what we would class as inefficient. In other words, it didn't do what it was supposed to do. So that's what they need to do. Uh, to explain that it's a trial of, of tablets and therefore it's just a few tablets. So in terms of learning the skills for that, what next steps would you suggest? Well, I think, first of all, it's OK for the clinician to say in advance, oh, this could be quite expensive because it's five tablets for a full prescription charge. And, and that would have enabled Nico to respond and either say, yeah, that's fair enough, or he might say, well, that's, that's not effective, that's not acceptable to me. And they might need to then negotiate some other alternative, such as stage dispensing or something like that. Um, and they could have then been more specific about explaining the next steps. Is out of hours the best way? Would a further assessment need to be done? Should the clinician have volunteered to ring him himself or whatever? So all these are useful things to do. And to review the last two or three minutes of several consultations, perhaps with a checklist of whether those things have happened, is a good way to identify whether effective skills are in place and whether other ones need to be developed. And what particularly would clinicians look for at the end of consultations? I think, first of all, you know, a, a kind of end summary of the plan, uh, something about next steps, and the safety netting should include things like if I'm right or if this is the right course of action, what will we expect to happen? How will we know if we're wrong, you know, or how will we know if, if something worse is happening or if things are developing? What would need to happen then? Um, and then making sure that there's a, an option for people to ask more questions, such as what questions have you got now? Or could you just run through that so I know we're in agreement about what we're going to do? And then they can be sure that people know what's going to happen next. And that I think often safety netting takes the form of quite vague advice like sort of get some more if you need them and what, what problems can arise from that or what does that result in? Well first of all it, it's not specific enough so people don't know what to look out for uh, and it, it often just leaves things resting at the level of people's anxiety or worry like or if things don't settle whereas if you say things like I'm expecting it to take a week for this to improve I would expect the first thing to get better would be this, but you might have some, like say with a sore throat, the sore throat might improve, but you might feel a bit tired for a few days afterwards. That's normal, that's part of the recovery. Can signal the expected course, and that kind of thing can avoid premature consultations. I think often as well, if it's a bit vague, this can create more work later on, like it did with Nico. It's, it's not just that the manager had an angry family member on the phone, 
the clinician's going to have to respond to the complaints. The out-of-hours service had yet another call to deal with when they're already busy. And in the future, it may take time to re-establish trust with this family, which is at a time when they're feeling fraught already with the dying member of the family at home. So I think, as you've articulated, having an efficient ending makes care safer, more effective and and actually just less stressful in the long run for all parties. Yeah, sometimes taking an extra moment or two can really save you a lot of time in the longer run. Thanks, Anne. Thanks, everyone. This podcast was brought to you by NHS Professional Educators, making training available to all.